0: Well, today we are wrapping up our little study of Psalm 23. And I call it a little study because I'm absolutely convinced we could have spent weeks and months on Psalm 23. And I'm hopeful uh, to circle back around to Psalm 23 at some point in the future. But if you are a guest of ours today, uh, what you need to know about Psalm 23 in order to pick up with us today is this. Psalm 23 chronicles the journey of a group of sheep who are led by a caring, competent, compassionate, and skillful shepherd a shepherd who knows the way and a shepherd who shows the way for his sheep to go. Uh, Psalm 23 is such an incredible passage of scripture. And as we talked about in week one, it's actually a song. And so the author of this particular song is David. And there's so many different layers to Psalm 23 and so many different angles that we could approach Psalm 23 in. But When you read Psalm 23, a couple of big things that I think are important to point out to help you read Psalm 23 in a different way for the rest of your life. Psalm 23 is the story of David the author of Psalm 23, the shepherd boy turned king. And in all the lines of Psalm 23, around every corner in in every shadow, we find a little bit of David's story. Uh, David had been a shepherd to sheep. Uh, When he was a teenager, he'd been a shepherd to people as a king. And he recognized towards the end of his life that for his entire life that he too had a shepherd. So Psalm 23 is the story of David. But the second way to read Psalm 23 is this, that Psalm 23 is the story of Israel. Uh, Israel was God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, the treasure of his heart. They were the sheep of his fold. Uh, He was their shepherd. God had rescued them. God had led them. And when they had wandered off at different times in their lives, uh, God went after them as their shepherd to bring them back into the fold. And so it's the story of David It's the story of Israel, but this is where it gets really personal. Psalm 23 is our story. Psalm 23 is your story. Psalm 23 is my story. So when you read Psalm 23 for the rest of your life, and I hope you never get too far away from Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is the story of David, it is the story of Israel, and it is the story of me and you. Because we are the sheep who are prone to wander in unhealthy directions. We are the sheep of Psalm 23 who are given to stress and fear. We are the sheep of Psalm 23, whose appetites and habits cause us at times to hurt ourselves and to hurt others. We are the sheep who need a shepherd, a shepherd who knows the way, a shepherd who is willing to show us the way to lead us along the paths that are right and best. We need a shepherd because we are sheep that we can trust the quality and the direction of our life too. Now, as Christians, we believe that the only person who can fit that particular position for me and for you is Jesus. And I believe that you can trust your life to Jesus because he is the one who laid down his life for you. And you can trust anyone who is willing to lay down their life for you. That means you can trust what Jesus says about how your life and my life is supposed to look his vision for what the best life in this life actually looks like. Now, in the church that I grew up in, they had testimony time at the end of the service and people would just speak a word and they would give a little bit of their life story, a little bit of their life experience. Well, if this uh, was testimony time, I would tell you that there has never been a time in my life that I have regretted following the good shepherd. I could also tell you that the moments in my life that I regret the most, the moments of my life that I wish I could go back and edit, redo, get a mulligan for. Those are the moments that I went rogue. Those are the moments that I wandered off. Those were the moments that I did not follow the good shepherd. Now, for many of you, that would be your word of testimony as well. And so an overarching theme of Psalm 23 is this. You will be the best version of yourself when you follow the good shepherd. You will be the best version of yourself when you follow the good shepherd. When you go rogue, not the best version of you. When I go rogue, not the best version of me. And so there's many different ways to approach Psalm 23, but as we put you know, a conclusion to this series today, I want you to think about once again, what we thought about in week one. I want you to think about David, towards the end of his life, looking back over his life, And as David looked back over his life, he he saw his life not static, but he saw his life as fluid. He saw his life as a journey because that's not how life works. Uh, Life is just not one scene after the other. It's one scene after the other that's all connected. It forms one mosaic. It, It is a journey from one place to another, to another, to another. And so as David looks back over his life, he sees his life as a journey. And within that journey, I can imagine that David saw his journey consisting of different seasons. Uh, he would look back over his life, you know, beginning with childhood and in his teenage years and then the twenties and the thirties and the forties and the years that he had as king, the, the bad season of his life after Bathsheba and Uriah and the difficult family events that happened in David's palace. And as he looked back over all of that, I can just imagine that he saw those events as parts of seasons. Some seasons of David's life were more challenging than others. Uh, Some seasons of David's life seemed like mere preparation for the next season of David's life. There were seasons of pain and then seasons of healing and seasons of learning and then seasons of teaching, seasons of work and seasons of rest, sowing and reaping, waiting and moving. And so David could look back over his life's journey and he could begin to chronicle his journey through the headings of seasons. And so David could recognize that as one season ended, it was just the beginning of another season because this is deep, so you may wanna write this down. No one season lasts forever, right? Nature teaches that. You know, winter gives way to spring and spring gives way to summer and summer gives way to autumn and autumn gives way to winter. And then we're off and we go around and around again and again. No one season lasts forever. Now, that was true for David. That's true of nature. And that's true in your life, in my life. Not one season of your life will last forever. And the good news is this season of life that we're currently in, that we've been in for the past you know, 10, 11 weeks or so, this is not a season that's gonna last forever. There will be an end to this season and there will be the beginning of the next season of your life, the next season of my life, the next season of our church's life, the next season of the world's experience with life. This season is temporary and it will not last forever. Now, at any given point within the current season that we're in, our life is a mere reflection of the season. Our thinking is a reflection of the season that we're in. Our actions and interactions with people are a mere reflection of the season that we're in. How we feel emotionally, how we're doing spiritually, oftentimes are just a reflection of the season that we are in. This season that we're in right now You could probably take a few moments, inventory, evaluate, uh, just take a little bit of time and look at your life right now. And there's so much of what's going on inside of you and around you and in your head and in your heart and in your soul. It is a mere reflection of this season that we're in. But the season that we're in will not last forever. There will be an end. And there will be a beginning to the next season of life. That's how it works. Richard Blackaby, he said this. He said, every aspect of our lives is governed by the ebb and flow of seasons. And as David is writing Psalm 23, and as he's looking back over his life, he could see that the Lord, the shepherd was leading him into one season, out of a season, into another season. And he saw that you know, that uh, particular uh, merry-go-round existence all throughout his life's journey, that it was in one season, out of another, the end of one, the beginning of another. And so David, I think, has this in mind when he writes Psalm 23. Matter of fact, I could be wrong. I don't think that I am. But Psalm 23, I believe, has the primary backdrop, the primary backbone of being all about the seasons of life the natural seasons of life, the spiritual seasons of life, the philosophical seasons of life. There's winter and there's spring and there's summer and there's autumn. And then there's winter and there's spring and there's summer and there's autumn. And that's what Psalm 23 23 really has as a backdrop of what David is trying to communicate. The picture is a shepherd leading his sheep from one place to another based on the season that they're in. And based on the season, that is approaching. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, jot this down in your Bible, put it in your phone, so that you can just have this in your mind when you read Psalm 23. Psalm 23 begins in the springtime. It begins in the spring. The sheep are grazing in the lowlands of the Jordan Valley. And David says, there, they're fully satisfied. They're in a good place. They lack nothing. There's nothing that they want. They lack no good thing. They are content, they are satisfied, they are fulfilled. And this is the springtime. This is the time that he has restored their soul. The green pastures are there, the waters are quiet. And so Psalm 23 begins in the spring. Now, in the springtime, the mountains to the north are still covered by snow. But as spring gives way to the season of summer, the melting snow in the north on the mountaintops are gonna give way to the green vegetation below. Now, the shepherd knows this. Sheep, we've talked about it, they're not that smart. They don't pay attention to one season ending and another season beginning. But the shepherd knows that the seasons are shifting. One season closes and another begins. The shepherd knows, we talked a little bit about this last week. If the sheep stay too long in one place, that good place, what was good in one season will not be very good in the season to come. Matter of fact, sheep love to overgraze the fields. And so I guarantee you what was good in the last season will turn bad in the next. So the shepherd knows as the season comes to the close, the sheep need to move. And the same is true in your life and the same is true in my life when it comes to the seasons of our life. The good shepherd, Jesus knows that as one season closes and another season begins, we need to be on the move. There's changes that have to be made as one season ends and another begins. There's things that we have to let go of. We leave one place in order to get to another. There are changes that must occur in your life and my life as one season ends and another begins. This is the essence of life. This is the essence of a shepherd and his sheep. This is the essence of Psalm 23. And so David, he goes on and he says, so he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. The shepherd begins to move the sheep. Spring is ending, summer is beginning. And so he finds the right paths. And so from the lowlands in the Jordan Valley, they begin to move through the dark and dangerous canyons and caverns in order to reach the mountains in the north. To get to the mountain, again, as we talked about last week, they have to go through the valley. And so David, he goes and says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, they're going through because they're going someplace. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The dark places are necessary. In order to get to where the shepherd is leading them, they have to go through the dangerous place, they have to take the risk, but yet they do not fear because the shepherd is with them. Now the shepherd, he's doing what's in the best interest of his sheep, and he knows what is in the best interest of his sheep. He's taking them to the cooler temperatures of higher elevations, you know, sheep and wool, and it's pretty warm, and he doesn't want them to overheat. So what does he do? He takes them to the cooler temperatures in the north where there's gonna be higher meadows in the higher elevations. And so these, these meadows or these pasture fields or uh, mesas, uh, these plateaus in the mountains that would actually form fields where the sheep could graze. Uh, they were flat-topped hills with steep slopes. And, and these plateaus, which became green pastures, uh, they just didn't happen. Matter of fact, they were developed Generation after generation after generation, by shepherds within family lines, uh, these plateaus belong to certain families, or they would lease these fields from you know, the landowners for generations so that they would have a place to take their sheep in the summertime and so Once upon a time, the shepherds would have to go to those plateaus and they would have to remove the rocks. They would have to remove the poisonous plants because sheep are sensitive to certain plants which can harm them, create pain for them, or even in some cases, kill them. They would take up the weeds of these fields and ultimately do all the hard work that was necessary to turn this flat plateau into a field for his sheep to graze in the summertime. In essence, this is what David is saying the shepherd had gone before his sheep to prepare the way. At some point or the other, the shepherd had gone before his sheep, had gone to the highlands, prepared that plateau to be a field for his sheep to graze. Now, David, as he thinks about this, as it relates to literal sheep and literal shepherds, he thinks about this as it relates to his own life. He recognizes that in every new season of his life, as he looks back over his life journey, he realizes that in every new season of his life, it was as if his shepherd, the Lord, had gone ahead of him into the next season of his life to prepare for David's arrival in that season. David says, you know, I look back over my life and it's as if every place I got to, God had already been there to prepare the place and the moment for me. Now, I love that idea. And and as I look back over my life, I can see that God brought me to moments, God brought me to conversations, to interactions, to relationships, to experiences that really did change the trajectory of my life. And looking back on those conversations and interactions and moments in time, looking back now, it's as if the good shepherd had gone ahead of me and prepared those moments for me, that he had went into the next season of my life to prepare those moments for my arrival. I can think back to, you know, an event that I've told you about many times, but when I was 16 and outside of a church on Wednesday night, you know, a pastor looked at me and for the very first time someone looked in my eye and said, Trevor, God's got a great plan for your life. God's going to use you. And looking back on that moment now, it was as if God went to that moment before I got there to prepare me for that. I cannot escape the mark of that moment on my life. I think about the moment that I said yes to ministry. You know, the pastor got up, gave an invitation one evening, and said, If you're willing to put your yes on the table to say you are willing to serve God in full time ministry, that you would just stand and come down front. And my heart was beating and it was pounding and I was so nervous and my hands were sweaty and I, I, just, I just knew I was supposed to respond and, and I wasn't even sure what it was gonna look like after I responded, but I, I stood up and I walked down front and I put my yes on the table to say, yes, if God wants me to be in full-time ministry, that's, that's what I'm willing to do, and, and that was the same evening that when I was standing up there, you know, all by my lonesome, that Allison also stood up and came up there and stood beside of me to kind of put her yes on the table. We weren't even married yet, we were just dating. And I think about that moment and how it shaped the future of my life. I, the night that I met Pastor Johnny, my mentor in, in a random event in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, uh, the night that Bob Lynx called me to invite me to come preach at Hawk Creek Missionary Baptist Church in London, Kentucky at the end of Hawk Creek Road. I could just take you to one moment, one conversation after the other. And it seemed as if God, the good shepherd, had gone to those moments ahead of time to prepare for my arrival, to usher me in to the next good thing that he had for me. And I guarantee you that if you pause and think about your life story and you think about the moments and the conversations and the interactions, the random events that seemed random at the time, but looking back now, you can see how the good shepherd had gone into the future, that moment for you to prepare you for the next season of your life. The scripture is full of verses that promises this and tells us about this. I'm gonna give you two to hold on to. Listen to what Deuteronomy says. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel right before he dies. He says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. I love that. He's with you, but yet he goes before you. That's what happens when you're omnipresent. You you can do that. God's with you, but yet he goes before you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. I love what Isaiah says. He says, on behalf of God, I will go before you. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. That's why we should never be afraid or discouraged. That's why we should wake up every day with a sense of anticipation, expectation, hope, excitement, passion because the good shepherd has gone before us that day that we're about to live. He's already gone before us. He's already prepared the way. He's opened doors that needed to be opened, closed doors that needed to be closed. He's created opportunities that are gonna present themselves. That's why we should live life with a vigor that nobody else on this planet lives with because we understand that the good shepherd goes before us. He prepares the way. He prepares the next season. He prepares the next field that we need to graze in. Now, when it comes to the shepherd who goes before a sheep to prepare those plateaus for grazing, uh, those plateaus in the highlands were known as tablelands. Uh, here's a picture of one. Uh, you can see steep slopes on the side, but the top, you know, there's vegetation there, there's green there. This is what David's thinking about these tablelands, the higher elevations, these higher meadows that the shepherd has taken the sheep to in summer. And so with that in mind, because it does look like a table, right? Listen to what David says next. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Or in other words, you could say, God, you prepare a field for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when the shepherd leads the sheep up to the highlands and he finds one of these plateaus that have been developed into a pasture field, he he will hold the sheep back because he knows that there's predators around. He knows that all around the proximity of this plateau, this mesa, this pasture field, that there are enemies all around. But the shepherd is ready. He has his rod and his staff. He's there. He's ready to protect his sheep from harm. And so he is able to provide safety. He's able to provide peace, even with enemies lurking about. He provides a table, a place for them to graze, even when the enemies are lurking about. This is the picture David has he goes on to say and you anoint my head with oil it seems random and and I don't know what you've thought of in the past when you heard that verse or heard other people quote that verse but this is amazing this this is so locked into the metaphor of shepherd and sheep now shepherds would use the oil for many purposes but let me give you a couple and I've got Charles Wendell and Charles Fleming to uh, thank for some insight on this particular verse but as the shepherd would lead his sheep to the tableland. The shepherd would hold them back and go inspect the field for brown adders, little snakes that lived within the holes of the field and they would wait on sheep to graze and when the sheep had their head down and their nose in the grass those little adders would come up out of there and nip the nose of the sheep and that would cause pain and inflammation and on the rare occasion even death for sheep. And so the shepherd would go in and look for these enemies of the sheep and whenever he would find one of these holes he would take out a bottle of thick oil and he would pour that thick oil down in the hole and that hole would create a type of barrier so that the adder couldn't get out to strike the sheep. But then he would take that thick oil and he would pour it over the sheep's head. And it would act as a repellent to not only snakes, but to gnats and flies, which often, oftentimes tried to torment sheep. Uh, there are records of sheep being so tormented by flies and by gnats that they would bash their head into rocks and bash their head on the side of trees, trying to get relief from the gnats and the flies that torment them. And so here's the shepherd. He in very much a real sense provides a table for his sheep, a field for his sheep in the presence of their enemies. He anoints their head with oil so that they can graze protected from their enemy. Think about that. Now, The second reason that shepherds would use oil is to mend the wounds and the hurts of the sheep that they picked up along the journey. Remember, they had to go through the darkest valley. It wasn't easy. There was a lot of things that could happen along the way. And so he carried the oil. If you know, a sheep got hung up in a thicket or got itself into trouble, maybe slid down the hill, he would use that oil to put on the wound and the hurt of the sheep to help bring healing. And so this is all a picture of what a good shepherd would do for his sheep. It's also a picture of what Jesus, the good shepherd does for you and for me. He goes before us. He prepares a table field for us to graze in, even in the presence of our enemies. And even with an enemy lurking about, we can graze and rest in peace. Jesus said it this way in John 10. He said, the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What does your enemy wanna do to you? Steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then in the same breath, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for his sheep. A little bit later on in the same chapter, Jesus says, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, who will want to snatch them out of his hand? Your enemy, the enemy. But Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. In other words, you don't have to fear your enemy. You don't have to have unrest in your soul because you have an enemy. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to have peace, even when an enemy lurks about. A portion of scripture that I love is Paul's letter to the Colossians. And he talks about the effect of Jesus's death and resurrection, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Not only did he provide forgiveness for you and forgiveness for me, But this is what Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 15. He says, when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, he disarmed, he disarmed, get the picture, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, Paul would say, do you have an enemy? Yes. Peter would say, is he like a roaring lion? Yes. Do you have to fear him? No. Is he a thief? Yes. Does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? Yes. Does he want to snatch you from your shepherd's hand and from his father's hand? Yes, but you don't have to be afraid because Jesus' death and resurrection has disarmed the enemy. John would say, greater is he that is in you than your enemy that's in the world. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 kind of gives the picture of the fact that our enemy is like a buzzing bee without a stinger. He can't harm us. He can't touch us. We are kept by the power of God. We are secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are safe in his hands. That's a picture of our shepherd. He has provided a table even in the presence of our enemy and we don't even have to be afraid. Do we have an enemy? Yes. But do we fear our enemy? No, he is a defeated foe. But then there's that healing thing. There's those hurts that we pick up along the way in life's journey, and he can help with that too. Listen to what Psalm 34 says. The Lord is close, he's close. He's close to the brokenhearted. Is that you? Have you picked up some hurts along your life's journey? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So listen to this. He says, if life has hurt you, If your journey in life has crushed your spirit, the Lord is near, the shepherd is near. He carries the oil that can heal those hurts. He carries the oil that can bring peace to a crushed spirit. He can mend the wounds. He brings beauty from ashes. He brings the oil of joy and replaces the mourning. He gives garments of praise to replace garments of heaviness. So if life has hurt you, if the people that you've interacted with at some point in your life have hurt you, if someone or something has crushed your spirit, the good shepherd is close. He's close because he has what you need to heal the hurt that you have. And David, he finishes the thought with saying, my cup overflows. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. He's not referring to overflowing with oil. He's talking about overflowing with water because the shepherd up there in the highlands, up there on the plateau, there's there's no streams, there's no river. And so those shepherds have worked hard and they have dug a well to get to the fresh water that they would pour in a stone basin that would become quiet water for the sheep. And once again, the shepherd gives to them even in the mountain region, everything that they need, everything that he gave them in the lowlands in spring, he gives to them in the mountains in summer. And the sheep in a really strong sense of the reality, they rest in the finished work of their shepherd, just as we do. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. We rest in his grace. We rest in his love. We rest in his forgiveness. We rest in his justification. We rest in him. This is how David finishes this epic idea, this epic psalm, this song of his life, Israel's life, your life, my life. He says, surely, no question about it, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I love how the New Living Translation just adds a couple of changes. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Surely, a statement of confidence, a statement with no doubt, fully persuaded. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and unfailing love will follow me. How could David say such a thing? Because he's at the end of his life and he looks back and he says, You know what? At every step of the way, when I look in the rearview mirror of my life, I always see back there behind me God's goodness, God's unfailing love. It's followed me every step of the way. It followed me when I was in the lowlands. It followed me when I was in the darkest valley. It followed me when I was up there on the mountaintop. It's been there the whole time. And I'm absolutely confident that if they've been there the whole time, every step of the way, goodness and unfailing love will follow me all the days, all the days, the good days the bad days, the sick days, the painful days, the fearful days, the confused days, the days where I have doubts, the doubt—the days where I'm strong in faith, whatever the day, all the days of my life, goodness and unfailing love are gonna follow me. Like sheepdogs, they're gonna bring up the rear, goodness and unfailing love. Hatton Robinson said it this way, he said, With him, the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy unspeakable, the peace passes understanding. There's no grudging in God's goodness. This is one of my favorite statements. He does not measure his goodness by drops. It comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference it would make in our lives. If every meal were taken as a gift from his hand, it would be almost a sacrament. He said, if we could just begin to live life with eyes to see the goodness of God, the unfailing love of God behind us, before us, around us. If we could just begin to see our future through the eyes of God's goodness and God's unfailing love. If we just begin to be able to see our past through the realities of God's goodness and God's unfailing love, what a difference that would make in how we feel and how we think and how we respond. Paul said it this way. He said, when it comes to the goodness of God, think about this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, more than, all that we could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. He said, God's goodness is greater than you could ever ask for or imagine In another place, he said this, he said, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is good. God only does good. And he does not withhold good from those who follow him. Jesus said, if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give give good things, good gifts to those who ask? David realized that in every season of his life, goodness and unfailing love. The realization is this, when things are bad, God is still good. And even when I fail him, God's love never fails me. When I look back over my life, I see the same. Every step of the way. God's been good to me. God's been better to me than what I deserve. He's been patient with me. He's been gentle with me. He believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. He found me back there in some really bad places in a really bad way, but he whispered to me, neither do I condemn you. Get up, go, sin no more. I look back and I say it's by the Lord's mercies that I wasn't consumed. I look back and I say, great is his faithfulness. It's been grace on top of grace for me. Where sin abounded back there, grace did much more abound. He loved me, he always welcomed me back, even when I was covered in the filth of my own sin. Surely goodness and mercy, unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. And then David wraps it up and puts it here. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And everything comes full circle. Summer has ended. Fall is coming to a close, winter is soon at hand and it's the time of the year for the shepherd to lead his sheep home. For David, he was towards the end of his life and he recognized winter was soon approaching and the shepherd was leading him home, leading him back to the father's house. The trip that David had made many times as a teenage shepherd when he would bring his sheep home for winter to be safe and to be warm. David said, that's what's about to happen in my life. The shepherd is about to lead me home before winter into the house of the Lord, his presence, his joy, his peace, the place where faith becomes sight. David said, my life's about to be over, but my shepherd is leading me through. And one day, this is gonna happen for all of us. Winter's coming. It's coming for all of us. One day, fall will end and the final winter will approach. But we have the promise that even when we speak our last words and breathe our last breath and our heart beats for the last time and we close our eyes for the last time, the Good Shepherd will be there to lead us through. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I leave it here. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples shortly before he died. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I was going. I I would not told you that I was going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. In other words, when the moment comes for your last breath, I'm gonna lead you through. And we'll be able to say with Isaac Watts, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. To grace that brought us safe this far, and grace is gonna lead us home to the Father's house where we will dwell forever. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of Psalm 23. Thank you for our good shepherd who leads us in every season of life from the valley to the mountaintop and home before winter. Thank you for the promise of not only a better life in this life, but eternal life in the father's house in the life to come. Thank you, Jesus, that we rest And your finished work as our shepherd. And because of you, we can rest assuredly that all the days of our life, it will be only goodness and unfailing love. In Jesus' name.